0: Well, we're back in Nehemiah. It's been a couple weeks, I think. The, uh, two weeks, three weeks, I guess, if you add it up. Anyway, uh, we're back in Nehemiah, so make your way over to Nehemiah chapter 4 uh, this morning. Uh, as God's people working towards God's purposes, such as sharing the gospel, or, or loving neighbors, or advocating for the sanctity of life, or, or honoring, uh, <clears throat> rather God-honoring sexual ethics, we, we often find ourselves when we are faithfully serving the Lord and and we're a little surprised when we face opposition in these moments as though we, we we think our heavenly father should just remove all opposition from our path to make everything easy for us yet Jesus in his sermon on the mount said blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake the apostle Paul, in his first missionary journey, in no uncertain terms, stated to to young believers, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. As as John wrote in his his first letter, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Our Heavenly Father is no snowplow parent. In fact, we we might even say as as Christians that suffering is is a badge of our discipleship. We see it so often throughout the writing of the scriptures. Furthermore, let us, let us never believe the subtle lie that has seeped into the modern Christian mindset. That, that lie that says lack of opposition is a sign of God's favor. Always. And so with all that in, in mind, let's, let's read this passage before us. And just as a, a quick reminder, right? We, we left off with the, the Jews from all the different clans and different locations uh, that had come to Jerusalem, and, and they're working on the, law, on the wall, and they're working on it in, in great unity in all these different areas. And, and so that's where we left off. Now let's, uh, let's read, we'll read the first 14 verses of, of Nehemiah chapter 4 this morning. Follow along with me. <clears throat> now when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria... What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sandoval and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that... The repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the branches were beginning to be closed, the breaches were beginning to be closed. They they were very angry, and they all plotted together to come and to fight against Jerusalem to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God, and we set a guard as protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews lived near them, came and from all directions and said to, the, said to us ten times, you must return to us. And so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and Open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. Grass withers, the flower fades Pray, gracious Heavenly Father, incline our hearts to your testimonies. Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your precious word. Give us fear and wonder. Give us focus and commitment. Give us what we need to understand and to live out what you have to teach us in your word today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So in case you've forgotten from uh, chapter 2, right, this Sandabut fellow is is believed to be the the governor. He's an authority. Authority, rather, in Samaria, its this region just north of Jerusalem. He was uh, absolutely bent out of shape when Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem to begin with because this is a man who has authority in the region. I think I just said that, right? Uh, and, and if Jerusalem actually gets repaired, if it starts to come to prominence, if it starts to come to power, this man has the most to lose in the sense of prominence here. And so now that, that everything's picking up and he can see, wow, there's, there's a wall actually going up, they're building it, they're having progress, he is panicking. And that's why our text says, right, he is angry, he is greatly enraged, he is jeering them. That's, that's what the ESV here says, right? This, this is classic bully activity here, he, he is mocking them in, in, in the presence of others, right? Verse 2 actually paints this for us, gives some color to what his mocking actually sounds like. What are these feeble Jews doing? Anyone ever call you feeble? Yeah, me neither. It's not a word we use, right? But it means they lacked strength, that they're weak. That's the idea. And you've probably been called something like that by someone at some point in your life. You're weak, right? You're a weenie. You are such a baby. And a bunch of other things I can't repeat here, right? Now, Sandoval is a gifted mocker, and he's using this tactic in the same way that people often use this tactic today. It's to draw others into this, this orbit of his hatred for the Jews that are rebuilding here. And, and so he continues to ask these, these mocking questions. Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they, arrive, will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and, and burn ones at that? Remember, because that's how the wall got damaged, all that burn. And they're not, they're not going out and getting brand new stones to do this. They're digging out all those nasty things. It's not going to be beautiful. But the whole point of the wall here is not about beauty. It's about the protection of the Lord's city here. Now, ironically, the answer to all but the single day question here will, will solidly end up being, yes, that's exactly what they'll do to all of those. And still, his, his mocking, it does gain traction, right? We hear uh, Tobiah, the Ammonite, he joins in. I, I kind of picture this guy, remember the cartoon Beauty and the Beast and Gaston had that little assistant guy? I picture him as that guy. I don't, probably not historically accurate, but that's what I picture anyway. Yeah. Um, so, so he chimes in, right, and he's insulting the quality of their work and his insults aren't nearly as good, uh, right? A, if a little fox walked on your wall, it would all just fall apart. And I'm sure people laughed with him. Uh, it's a ridiculous statement. I, I mean, we know that, right? I mean, this, this wall, what we know about this wall, it's, it's nine feet tall, or sorry, nine feet wide. That's the, the width of it, the, the depth of it, right? No, no fox is going to take that down, but, but his whole goal here is, is to discourage them with these words that are disparaging them. That, that's the goal. Now, now to bring this into our own context, right? we've got to consider, consider the disparaging statements that are either you know, said to us or about us or somehow uh, an attack against our faith today. right? Have, have you ever been mocked for believing that, that Jesus really rose from the dead? You really believe that? You think a guy died and came back to life? There's no evidence for that, right? Some, something like that. Uh, just, just ridiculous. Or, or you think he's coming back? That's what you think? Or, or maybe you've heard something like you, you really believe that sex should be reserved for marriage? That's so outdated. That's so judgmental. So some sort of, of way to just disparage your, your views, right? Maybe, maybe your, your experience is from that, that inner voice even that you just kind of feel, right? That says you're, you're not good enough for God to really love you. What words have been employed to disparage your faith? What, what lies have tempted you to, to doubt, to be discouraged from the Lord, walking with the Lord? Now, I love how Nehemiah doesn't get drawn into the argument here. I, I wonder how many of us it'd be like, defending the wall, you could put 40 foxes on this, look at this thing, you know, like trying to defend our work in some way or another. We just rage back at these fools. And he doesn't. He doesn't get drawn in at all. And, and so then there, there's this transition in the passage, and it seems a little weird. Verse 4, I don't know if you noticed when we were reading it. It doesn't say, Nehemiah prayed. That's, that's what's going on here. But there's no transition. It just feels weird. And he's praying with devastating the honest words right here. Oh, our, our God, for we are despised. He's desperate there. Right? He, he is. And the rest of his prayer, well, the rest of this prayer, it's not for protection like we'd expect. If I'm honest, that's probably where my mind would first go. Give us protection. It's also not the prayer of some pious church mouth. For, for, for Nehemiah's words soon reveal that he himself is, is angry as he prays this, right? It's what, what's often called an imprecatory prayer. The, the Psalms are, are full of these. Maybe, look at what he actually says. Turn back their taunts on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. All right, now listen to this. Do not cover their guilt. Do not let their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builder. And like all imprecatory psalms, he is asking God, bring judgment down on them. Bring justice into this moment upon our enemies. Like I said, there are, there are many imprecatory psalms I I, I actually try to preach one every summer because at some point it occurred to me, if, if you put them off, not that we should anyway, but if you put them off, eventually we're going to get to one last summer, and it's just going to be imprecatory psalm after imprecatory psalm. And I'm, I'm kind of imagine if you, if you visited here during that thing, like every week these crazy imprecatory psalms, right? And you don't want to hear things over and over again like Psalm 137.9, which is beautiful, but again, every single week, blessed shall be the one who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. We're glad you're here today. Um, And and so understand this. Nehemiah is not praying for personal revenge here. That's not what's going on. He's praying for God's justice to be carried out. Here we see that Nehemiah is is zealous. He's zealous for God's will. He's he's zealous for the glory of God. And he's asking God, God, demonstrate your sovereign power. Work. Work. He's saying, Lord, please do something. Do justice here. For these enemies have sinned not just against God's people, but against the Lord himself. See, in, in regards to how uncomfortable these, these prayers can, can make us, uh, Derek Thomas had this. said, He said, if, if we have problems with the idea of God taking revenge on his enemies, we have adopted a view of God that the Bible knows nothing about. And therefore, our problem is, is with the Bible itself. So then the obvious question I think we all want to ask when we read this is, can I pray like this? Should, should, I, should I ask God to, to crush the politician that's advocating for something that's clearly sinful? Would it, would it be right for me to pray something like, oh, oh God, let not Vladimir Putin's sins be blotted out from your sight? There's certainly a, a place for prayers that call for God to, to crush those who are opposed to the coming of his kingdom to the spread of the gospel in, in, in that way there certainly is a place for that but, but let us not be quick to jump to that let, let us not pray that you know, pray like this and, 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 and if we do so don't ever do so lightly it's not the immediate place we want to jump to right my brother and sister offended me crush them that's not where we want to go Um, do not cast off compassion and evangelism um, just so you can flippantly pray for the death of the wicked. Remember our our Lord teaching in Matthew 5.43 said you've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So let us long for our enemies to become our our friends, our, our family through redemption in Christ. That's primarily what we want to see. Because if, if we understand the gospel, if we understand it in the, in the fullness that, that Israel didn't understand it, in, in, in that sort of fullness, then, then we know that, that we too were enemies of God before he graciously made us children through union with Christ. Christian, apart from the grace of God, you should be and would be the enemy of God and thus absolutely worthy recipients of the wrath of God. Now that being said, there is certainly a place for righteous anger and imprecatory prayers. Jesus was angry when he confronted the loveless legalism uh, of of his synagogue opponents early on in his ministry. Jesus was was angry when he confronted the commercialism of the money-hungry traders in the temple later on. The the apostle Paul taught us, you know, in your anger do not sin. You know what that implies? There, There is a form of anger that is not sin. That's what we see in Nehemiah in this prayer, what we see in Jesus. It's, it's an anger that is unfortunately rare in our own hearts. An anger that's all about the glory of God and not even a little bit about my personal offense and how it you know, affects me. May, may, may we be zealous, right? May we zealously pray for the Lord to remove all who oppose his kingdom, but whether that occurs by bringing judgment upon an individual which would be right for the Lord to do or, or, or by which is preferable, right? Redeeming a lost soul, converting an enemy into a fellow citizen in the kingdom of God. I know you hated us, but come join us. That's what we saw in Paul, right? It would have been nothing for the, for the church to have prayed against him before his conversion. Just remove this guy. And yet what a glorious thing that he actually converted the man. Now, now the Lord does intervene here. He, he does so by renewing the resolve of the builders. I love this. Right? Verse 6, look at it. Uh, so we built the wall. We just kept doing the work. It, it's going good here, right? They, they filled the gaps, it said. It's kind of that moment, you know, when you set down a puzzle and you finally get the last outside piece in and you're like, all right, now we can really make some, some progress here. Uh, and, and the wall at this point, it's, it's halfway to the, what they're aiming for. To put that in perspective, it's, it's 20 feet. Uh, two basketball hoops, uh, and, and they're aiming to be done. When they're done, it'll be nine feet wide uh, and 40 feet tall. I was told that's roughly the ceiling here. I haven't measured that, so don't, don't check me on that. Uh, but something like that, you're talking about a huge wall is, is what you're dealing with. Now, the important thing to see here is, is that they are committed to the Lord's kingdom. They are united as the Lord's people, and they do not stop the work that God has called them to just because the enemies threaten their, their safety. No, well, this, this is awkward. Let's go home. This is not what I signed up for. And please notice, again, they, they haven't been drawn into the argument. They just stay the course of what the Lord has called them. Simply doing what God has called them to do, they keep building. Don't, don't miss how this plays out for us today, right? Because we, we can spend our days just raging online at people that disagree with things that we understand to be biblical, we can do it in person just as well. And about all the ways we believe the government is infringed on our rights, we can, we can live anxiously, we can live discouraged, we can spend all of our time just trying to fight these ideas in that way uh, about how the media is overwhelmingly against our worldview. We can spend our days attacking the public school system or the city commission or, you know, every individual that we, we, we meet online that we just deem absolutely ignorant. We can, but Why? Did Jesus commission you to reform the government in ancient Rome or the, or the modern United States? Seriously, go, go read the New Testament. You will not find a commission for, to that for you anywhere. But I'll, I'll tell you what you have been called to is to be an ambassador of the Lord, that you represent him in this world. You you have been told to to love God with all your heart. You have been told to love your neighbor as yourself. Christian, you have been commissioned to the Lord. Matthew 28, we all know it well, right? You have been commissioned by the Lord to go and make disciples. That's your wall. We we are to baptize them in the name of the Trinity. Trinity. We have been commissioned to teach these disciples, these ones that are coming to the Lord, right? We are committed to, to, to teach them to observe all that the Lord has commanded. And so let's, let's do that. Let's not get sucked off in these other things that distract us and exhaust us and, and, and lead us down a bunch of other things out, out there on the wall arguing with Sandoval when we really need to be building the wall because that's what we've been sent to do. Boldly speak the truth in love. Share the gospel. Make disciples. Teach these disciples to walk in newness of, of, of life. Do what God has actually called you to do. That will do wonders in the world we live in. Absolute wonders. Okay? Let's let's go on. Verse 7. Sandoval and Tobiah, right? And now they got a bunch of other friends the Arabs, the Ammonites, the the Ashdodites. That's new, so they've gathered some new ones. Uh, and, And they are all disgruntled now because the Jews have not been distracted from the mission. We've done all this stuff, we're threatening them. They're still working. This is not good. And, and so these, these guys make plans to attack Jerusalem. And then in verse 9, we, we, nine, we, see, this, we see the Jews' response, right? Look verse 9. And we prayed to our God and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. First of all, this is a corporate prayer. It's not an individual prayer. Uh, even in the midst of all of these threats, all these worries, they have gotten together and they, and they have prayed together. That, that is a beautiful model. It's one I would like to see us do a better job of when, when we face things in the world. Second, notice he brings together what we often separate today. He brings together uh, prayer, Figure your way, it's this way, huh? Prayer and, and action. Right? If you have a, a medical issue, you should pray. You should ask God for healing. But it would also be very wise to go to the doctor and learn about what's a treatment for that. Let's say you, you have someone threaten your safety, the safety of your family. <clears throat> pray for protection, but also prepare a plan. For protecting your family, right? So, so they prayed for protection and they, they stationed guards to provide the plan for the protection. <clears throat> so um, that's where we're at. Now we're going to move on to, to verse 10 here. Now uh, I'll tell you this. I, I've been trying to eat healthy. Some of you know this. Um, my doctor said your cholesterol is high and you're too fat so you need to get in better shape. So that's what I've been trying to do, and, and I've been doing this good job of it. And then last week, Laura went to Texas, uh, and she's, you know, leaving me and the kids just to defend for ourselves, and... By Wednesday, I I had been eating so good. By Wednesday, I find myself just tired, hadn't slept well, and I foolishly decide I'm going to cook some of those kids' chicken nuggets that I've been seeing them eat all week for my lunch today. And I go to the freezer, and I'm opening the freezer, and I'm getting the nuggets out. and, And you know that thing? If you have upright freezer, you know it. It's the freezer avalanche where you pull one thing and suddenly everything starts falling out, <clears throat> which was fine, right? I'm picking all this stuff up off the floor in their bags. It's clean. Um, and, and, but what I found in that is out came this, this bag of French fries that I didn't even know existed. Uh, so I threw that into the air fryer too. Things are, are getting worse. And as I'm putting everything back, I, you know, I find in the very back there, there's a half gallon of bluebell ice cream back there. And I'm, hallelujah, we have bluebell. Uh, so I had also a little bit of that. Everything just kind of fell apart in this, this one moment for me. And later that day, I was texting with Laura, and I, and I told her how terribly I had eaten. And she asked, what happened? And, and I happened to be studying this. So I responded, you know, with the words from, from verse 10 here. Look at it. It says, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. <clears throat> And, and I was mostly joking. Uh, <laughs> now, one of the most beautiful observations of, of the scriptures, though, is, is how they, they paint a picture of what life is actually like. Right? It's not this idealized, idealistic image of life, of everything perfect. And, and we actually see it right here because right after this time of prayer and they have this plan and they, and they put it all together... You kind of expect, you know, the next thing to be, oh, and they were so encouraged and things went great for them. And, in, and instead we hear their strength is failing. They are exhausted. The burden, even with those prayers, even with that plan, the burden is too great to carry. They are overwhelmed by these piles of rubble that are every place they look. They are, they are thinking there's no way we're actually going to finish this project. In other words, doubts have crept into their minds majorly. And, and word has gotten to them that their enemies are, are planning some sneak account, right? They're going to come and kill us when we least expect it. That's not good. In uh, and, and verse 12, we, we learn that the, the Jews that, that lived outside the walls in, in smaller towns in the, in the region, right? They have come there and these are friends, these are families, these are people that are rooting for them. And, and what are they saying to them? You must return to us. You've got to stop this project and come home. It says, they said it ten times, right? That's just a euphemism, meaning just constantly. Stop the work, come home. You've got to stop, come home. Come home, come home, come home. Over and over again. Either because they're afraid of the safety of the builders being attacked, like the threat has said, or they're afraid for their own safety. They don't have the wall there. They don't have husbands who are away from home. It's not a safe place for them. It's the trouble of, of kind of being midway through anything. My my friend Mike Zorro, is older than me, he was actually an intern youth pastor back when I first came to faith. Anyway, he told me after my sophomore year of, of college uh, that, that the middle of, of any project, anything, is the hardest place to be because you're you're too far in to see where you've come from. You can't even see the progress that's been made and and you're you're so exhausted and you see how far you have to go that you can't even see the destination of where you're trying to get to. It's the roughest place to be. That's, that's where they find them placed at this moment. You probably find yourself in a similar situation at some point. Now, the goal of the enemy here at this halfway point is, is simple. Let's get them to quit what they've been called to do by any means possible. That's always the enemy's plan, isn't it? To get them to quit doing the work of God by any means possible. Now this this brings us to our last little section today. The first thing you see is nobody quits. Nehemiah doesn't send anybody home. At least it's not written here. At great risk, they continue the work that God has called them to. They're not foolish. They're not out there instigating a fight. They don't go after Sandoval and all those other fools. They, but but they, they put a security plan in, in place, right? Nehemiah stations armed individuals all around. He puts them at the low part, which is still pretty high. But the, the whole point is, is when they show up, they're going to see, oh, they're prepared for us. They're prepared for a fight. they got armed people everywhere. This isn't going to be, you know, we're not fighting a bunch of guys with, I don't know, little trowels, right? It's, what they're doing here, it's, it's brave, but it's also wise, and then in our, our final verse, verse 14 here, ne- Nehemiah gives a, a word of encouragement to these men and these women. And, and remember, these are not trained soldiers. These are normal citizens. These are volunteer construction workers that are now becoming volunteer warrior soldiers. Uh, and Nehemiah gives three directives. First he says, you know those, those people around us that are surrounding us, you know the enemies that we have on all sides at this point? the ones that want to come and kill us and maybe harm our family, well, do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of them. This is similar to what the Lord said to the Apostle Paul after he faced great opposition for proclaiming to the Jews later that that Jesus is the Christ, right? In Acts 8-9, that Jesus says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and, and do not be silent, for I am with you. Right? There's that reason, because I am with you. As I mentioned at the start, right? you and I, we, we live in a sin-ravaged world. It's just the reality. You can get up in the morning, you realize that pretty quick, that that's the world we live in, a world where Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In, in this world, we must expect trouble. We must expect opposition. We must expect opposition. It's not safe, but that doesn't mean that you should be afraid. We don't live in fear. And the reason to not be afraid is found in the second command, right? Nehemiah gives. Look at verse 14 again. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. So, so how, could, how could Nehemiah even suggest that maybe they've forgotten the Lord? Right, like, like we'd forget God. Well, well, in moments of distress and in moments of exhaustion, when surrounded by the, the rubble of life and the discouragement, when strength is failing, it, it is all too easy to forget the Lord. Or at least to forget how great and awesome He is. At least to forget that He's, he's for us. I, I bet you've, you've known this. You've already in your life experienced it, right? Right? In the Apostle Paul's last letter before his execution, he's, he's writing to the young pastor, Timothy, and, and do you know what he tells him there in 2 Timothy 2.8? Here's a guy who's, right, kind of vocationally his calling as a pastor, he's been ordained to it, um, and, and his words to him is this, Hey, Timothy, remember the Lord Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Raymond Brown puts it like this. He says, when when trouble comes, scripture's great realities can be temporarily displaced by anxious thoughts. And so believers often need a timely remember. Not just to remember that God exists, but to remember that he is great and awesome. And I wonder, you know, how how exactly does this help us not be afraid? Now, let's say you walk out of here today and I don't know, because of how you drove here today, there's some guy waiting out there, some strong dude, and he, just, he is ready to fight you, just to punch you in the face. And, and, and you should probably be afraid of that a little bit, right? It would be foolish not to be. But, but what, if, what if you had that MMA guy, Conor McGregor, or for you older guys like me, Mike Tyson back in his prime, uh, right? What, what if they were with you, just flanked to each side? What, that would certainly change things, wouldn't it? It's not so scary anymore. Uh, sure, I, I'm no match for that guy out there, but, but he's no match for McGregor, no match for Tyson, and, and these guys are with me, fighting with me, for me. And, and listen, that analogy is going to fall apart real quick, mostly because of the character of those two guys, but also because God is the only one who can truly be called great and awesome. There, there is no power in the, in the universe that compares to our sovereign Lord. But that's the presence of God with us why we're not afraid. The, the third command that Nehemiah gives is this. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. He, he's asking them to fight for their covenant community, their family, to, to protect them, to defend them. Now, it, it is unlikely, not saying it can't happen, but it is unlikely that someone's going to come in here today with swords or guns uh, because we're preaching the gospel. right? If we thought it was likely, we'd have a couple of you standing out there with your big old guns um, but it's unlikely, and we praise the Lord for that. Thank you. You know, that's a great gift of the Lord for us. But, but, but there's a very real threat against our souls that we might forget the Lord. Every day we are tempted to forget the Lord. Every day we are, we are tempted to forget how great and awesome God is, to forget the glorious gospel that we have believed. I mean, honestly, in your, in your heart, have you forgotten the Lord? Where are you at right now? Have you forgotten that He is great and awesome? Have you forgotten that that you can't be truly righteous, that you can't defeat sin yourself, but Jesus is is righteousness for you? That that Jesus has defeated sin for you? That Jesus is a reality? That His return is a reality? That's why we don't need to be afraid of the mockers. Mock all you want. And we don't have to convince them for it to be true. It's just true. Do not be afraid of of those who wish you harm either. Remember the Lord. and, And in the power of the Holy Spirit, set your mind, set your voice to continue the work that God has called you to. Every aspect of it, right? Show love to your enemies. Be the greatest neighbor you can be. Proclaim truth. You probably don't do that enough. Proclaim truth faithfully, boldly proclaim the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Wherever the Lord has placed you today, whatever your career, whatever circles you run in during the day, the the neighbors that you have, the, the dorm mates, the classmates, wherever that might be, wherever God has placed you today, make disciples. Learn to ask good questions, draw them into a conversation. Make disciples continue the work that God has actually called you to. Let's pray. Lord God, Almighty, you are faithful. You are gracious. Lord, your presence can calm our fears. And Lord, teach us to trust you more fully. Give us convictions in areas where we have failed to trust you. Show us where unbelief has seeped in. Give us repentance and renewal. Make our minds to remember your provision in all things, both big and small. But especially in regards to our sin being forgiven. God, teach us to trust you in the daily battle. Teach us to remember you, Lord. To remember you who are great, you who are awesome. Please renew our commitment to the work that you have called us to. Help us to see where we've been distracted. and Draw us back to the, the work you've called us to. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.